Amen. You can grab a seat. Good morning. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here. And today we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, as we get ready for this Christmas season. Let me say it. Merry Christmas. Ah, oh, yeah. Hope you're feeling good. It's Christmas season. You got great music. You're in this comfortable place. We're thinking about big things. We're thinking about good things. I hope that you are embracing Christmas time. Rachel and I talked about it. Doesn't even feel like Christmas. Things are happening too fast. We, we haven't been able to like ingest whatever the like little sort of subconscious things hit that make it feel like Christmas season. We've just missed them. So I hope that you're engaging in Christmas time, that you're feeling it, that you're drinking in the season. Uh, music's a great way to do it. What's your miss Christmas music of choice? Do you have something you go to? Like in the age of no more radios, it's kind of hard because you just used to turn on the radio and just whatever came on, it was just kind of that mix of Christmas songs. And then you kind of would drink in that same thing. Now that it's Spotify or whatever, you kind of have to choose. So I don't know if you're into the crooners, you like your Bings and your Deans and your Burls or the captain, whole blue eyes, Frank Sinatra, Ooh. He starts singing. It's so funny because it's like a time capsule. He'll sing and it's beautiful. And then he hands it like over for a minute to like the background singers. And they come in for just a second. And then it brings it back to Frank. It's beautiful. It takes you back to a moment in our history. Uh, maybe you like, everybody here is super Christian. So maybe you like the carols. You're into the old hymns and carols. That would be great if that was something that you're into. It'd be worth learning piano to kind of sing that together as a family. If you do listen to the radio, and it is still possible to do that, if you do listen to the radio, for whatever reason, it seems like every time I turn it on, it's Wham! singing Last Christmas. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, that song? It doesn't really mean anything to me. I don't, apparently, it means a lot to a lot of people, though, because every time I turn on the radio, it's them or Taylor Swift singing the same song. Um, and I say good for Wham! Because if you're a musician, the ultimate accomplishment has to be a Christmas hit. Because I don't know, when's the last time you thought of Wham? Recently, because of Christmas music. Other than that, though, you know, you don't really think about them. If you can get a Christmas hit as a, uh, as a musician, if you can get a Christmas movie that people watch every year, then you got to be raking in money for years to come. There's a certain, there's a certain um, glueiness that comes when, when a thing, a, a music, a food, a, a movie, a... a, a fun thing, a tradition, If when that sort of sticks in, when it somehow in all of our minds, maybe in a less, you know, verbalized way, connects in a right way to what we're feeling, then we want it every year. We keep bringing it back. I mean, you've seen these movies, you've seen Elf, you know what's going to happen. He eats the cotton swab. I mean, it's the same joke, but you watch it again. Why? What is it? There is something about this season. There's something that we're going to feel together, that we're kind of collectively reaching out to feel. And some of these things, whether it's just by proxy, because that was what you did every Christmas, or because it actually has some connection to the meaning of the season, it, it, it triggers something in you. You want it. Philosophers talk about this. They talk about something uh, called a, like a sacred time. There's a guy named Charles Taylor that developed this in something I, I read, but but the idea is that, that we have this sort of idea of like secular time, like that every day just follows the day before, and then you kind of have these different seasons and years, and there's repetitiveness to it, but it doesn't really mean anything different than the day before. But then you have this idea, and it's certainly a Christian idea, of like a sacred calendar. 
that there are times during the year where you're remembering something that happened in history. It has a time stamp. It really did happen historically. There's a point at which it happened, and yet we're remembering that thing all the time. We have baptism that begins the Christian life, and then we take the Lord's Supper regularly that we might remember something that happened. It was a historical event, and yet it has meaning that takes place every single day. And so we have to do things in order to remember, to touch again, to think again about this wonderful thing. At Christmas, we're, we're stepping into kind of a sacred time. You are stepping out of December 2022, and you're stepping into Middle East around the time of Christ's birth. Collectively, we're remembering something. We're feeling again something. And I want you to feel it. I want you to experience what it is that, that Christmas is not about all of these celebrations necessarily unless those celebrations point to this original moment, this, this sacred historical moment. Back to a, a little girl like a, a virgin far from home trying to give birth with a fiancé trying to play midwife. Of, of these shepherds who are just working class guys, far from the center of anything, who receive a vision of angels declaring the glory of God and the return of a king. I, I need you to take a moment to tap into the, the true meaning that we're seeing here. I, I want you to experience what these things are supposed to be pointing you towards. There is something deeper here. Um, we, we want, we sing about comfort and joy, you know, that's part of one of the carols that we sing regularly, and we want, we want comfort, we want joy, but it, it doesn't work. You can't have those things unless you connect them to the thing that produces that comfort and that joy. I, I, I think it's possible that you enjoy all the things around Christmas without getting to the meaning of it, and if you do that, you're robbing yourself. You really, you're robbing yourself of actual comfort, of actual joy, of true peace. That's the Christmas present, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't tap into that meaning, you're like a person who goes to a wedding for the like bowl of mints. I mean, the mints are fine. I don't know. They're nice, probably. They're probably better mints than you get in the bathroom. But they're not great, especially compared to the wedding. You're like a person who, who goes to a baby shower and you're just there for the sandwiches. You know, you're not really that excited about the baby, the new life that's being erupting out into the world. You, you, can, you can do Christmas like my dog does. My dog doesn't tap into the essential meaning of Christmas at any level. Does he know that the people around him are happy? Yeah, I think so. You know, the tail wags more. But, but when you get down to it, my dog is only happy about Christmas because there is a higher percentage chance of sweet things hitting the ground. That's the only real reason that he's excited about Christmas. Do not make that mistake. You're not a dog. You have been given by God the ability to tap into a true meaning here, to think and to feel and to worship, to experience, not just tasty sweet things, not just open presents, but to experience peace. 
And, and today we're going to try and experience it. I want, to, I want you to feel it through the perspective of the shepherds that are watching along. I, that's what I feel like. I feel like sort of a, a you know, unlettered kind of outside guy. Not like I am that, but like especially when you think about these wonderful things, these high things, I, you know, I feel like I'm not really somebody that deserves them or, or, or swims in that water well. And the shepherds, they're just out there with the sheep. And it's to those people that God reveals himself. It says in, in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, because of course they were. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Host is another word for armies. The heavenly armies praising God and singing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. What's happening? They're out in the middle of nowhere. They're watching the sheep. And an angel comes, glory of God comes, and expresses to them truth. What is he saying? He's saying that David's back. You know, it, we have, if you read through the Old Testament, we have God make a people. These are his people, and he's going to through them bless the whole world. We have been separated from God because of our sin, and yet God has reached in over and over and over again to a fallen humanity and made a witness about himself, made a way for people to understand who he is and relate to him again. And the highest expression of that so far was the people of Israel. And the people of Israel were led by a king, a guy named David. That king was given by God a promise that there would be one, one of his descendants, who would have a throne that never went away, who would bring about an eternal reign, who would bring about peace. You get peace a couple of different ways. You get peace by making deals, or you get peace by having a huge stick. Boom. That was an old Teddy Roosevelt quote. Speak softly and carry a big stick. That was how he wanted to do negotiations. You can do negotiations real great if you've got like a giant gun on the table. <laughs> you just get what you want. David was coming. This one who was coming would be one who would expand Israel out all over the world, who would bring about an absolute reign such that there was peace because his reign would not end. If you remember what we were saying in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. He'll be the king, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
It is a kingdom that doesn't have a scope geographically. It's going to be everywhere. It is a kingdom that does not have a duration. Its length is unlimited. It is a kingdom with a quality of life that doesn't really have a low ceiling. In fact, it doesn't have a ceiling. It just continues to increase. It is a place with justice where the justice is actually just and righteousness is actually everywhere. They don't have a court system. They don't need it. Everybody's righteous. Everybody's just. What a wonderful kingdom. Would that please happen? Yes, we would love for that to take place. What is the thing that brings this about? This one. A child who would be born to us, who would bring about this level of justice, this level of joy, this level of peace. Jesus marching forward. If you go into the Old Testament, there's a place where the people of Israel totally lose it. They just so walked away from the covenants. They've so walked away from the worship of Yahweh that that God can't really even put his name on them anymore. He remembers his promises. He brings about a remnant. And yet he allows these other nations to eat up Israel. They go away as a nation state for a period of time. While they're gone, one of the ones who is still righteous lives in the kingdom of the guy who is kind of in charge of everything, this guy named Nebuchadnezzar. You know you know the Bible if you can spell Nebuchadnezzar. And I actually spelled it right this morning. And I remember, because I was proud of myself, I spelled it right in my notes. You're welcome. All right. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar was the leader kind of of all things. He was the king of the country that was kind of the country over everything. And God gives him this dream, this dream about a statue. And the head of the statue of gold and the chest of the statue is silver. And then there's or the kind of, as you move it way down, the torso is bronze. And then it gets down into iron and then iron mixed with clay. And in the dream, a rock comes and it hits the statue and the, sh- the statue falls to pieces. It doesn't just break into large pieces. It like shatters the dust of it blowing about in the wind. And that rock Boom, that shattered the statue, grows and fills the whole earth. Okay, you know, what does that mean? I don't know. If you're a king, though, apparently there are kinds of dreams when you realize this wasn't just a dream. I didn't just eat something weird last night. This was a thing that was from God. And so he calls in the wise men. And one of the wise men, the one from Israel, this guy Daniel, he gives to the king the interpretation of the dream. And you see it a couple of times in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. This idea that there would be these successions of kingdoms. And they would be great to sort of less great to sort of eventually kind of mixed with clay. But there would come something else, something different. Not a kingdom that would just destroy the other kingdoms. Not just like a different government or a different ruler or a different system of administration. There would be something other that would come in and shatter. And then take over this rock. What was that? What is it talking about? Well, it's talking about this king, this Jesus one that is coming, that is marching forward, bringing about this kingdom. That's good news. Or is it? You've got to really reconcile this because, again, you're not going to be like my dog that's just sort of watching these things pass by. You're a person. You've got to understand these things and really either believe them or not, really accept them or not, and I want you to accept it, but to accept it, you really got to think about it. We are saying that a king has come to bring about a kingdom. That's a great deal if you're part of that kingdom. Think for a second about wars that you know of. 
And this can be just kind of whatever. You know, if, if you've read a lot about like historical wars, great. If you've read a lot about kind of current events, maybe Ukraine, Russia, or whatever, awesome. If it needs to be like Star Wars, that's totally fine. You can still get there. But imagine that you've got the big, bad, official guys, and then you've got the rebellion. You've got the rebel alliance. You've got the good guys. You've got the ones who are kind of now underground, and they have to be. If you have a righteous kingdom come and take out those bad guys, that's wonderful if you're one of the rebels. If you're one of the guerrilla fighters that are out in the jungle doing whatever it takes to keep the movement going. But if you've made peace with the bad guys, if you're a a traitor, or if you're just out and out one of those bad guys, then this other kingdom coming in is not a great deal. It's actually super bad news. Jesus is coming and he's not making deals. He's totally righteous. He's coming to bring justice. He's the king of a kingdom. The question with Christmas is, are you part of that kingdom? I mean, you really have to think about it. I hope that analogy helped you in some way, but but you have to think about it. Are you somebody who's a prisoner waiting for release? Are you somebody who's a guerrilla warfare person? You got no ammunition. You got no support. You're just out there. You feel so totally ineffective. Kind of like that video, that lady, she felt so ineffective. Now, us, we're watching it and we're like, wow, I wish my life could be a tenth of as effective as that girl. But I'm telling you, this is just how life works. She doesn't feel that effective. If you're one of those guerrilla type warfare people, then you're waiting on the king. You can't wait. But, but if you're somebody who's made peace with the world, who looks around at things that God hates and God loves and looks and kind of just is okay with it? I think you've got to ask yourself some questions about this Christmas season. How, how do you position yourself? Because the Bible is clear here that God is at war. And if you say he's at war with the devil, we go, yeah, great. Of course he is. Whatever happens in that spiritual world, God should be versus the devil. Get the devil out of here. And then you take a step further and you say, God is at war with the world. And you go, yeah, the world is a terrible place. Oh, my gosh. You can't read the news. It's just so dark. It's so difficult. It's so terrible. It's happening all around you. Yeah, God, be at war with the world. Be at war with disease. Be at war with disaster. Be at war with sin. And then you realize as you continue to read Scripture that God is at war war with people. Biblically, the punishment for sin is death. Meaning, just do the math on this. If people die, it's God's wrath. From that perspective, he's 100%. He's at war with us. He's at war with you. He's the righteous judge, he's the holy God, and we break his law. We are living as rebels, rebels against the capital K, King. No, if we're going to be at peace with God, it's got to be a peace that deals with our unrighteousness. 
righteousness. He does come. And yet, look at the way he comes, because Christmas is totally unexpected. The way he comes, the angels don't tell the shepherds to look up and see Jesus coming on the horizon, breaking the world in half, the white rider. That's not what happened at Christmas. It's what will happen, it says in Revelation 19, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many crowns and he has a name written that no one knows but himself mystery power authority and war but the angels don't say you know, look over there. They wouldn't have to. If this, when this happens, it talks about heaven itself being cracked open and Jesus coming in on a white horse. He will, but not yet. What is Christmas? Christmas is David, angels, glory of God, in a baby. <laughs> coming as, as a, a baby. They had to go and they had to look around inside of mangers, feeding troughs for animals. Good thing they were shepherds. They probably knew where all the mangers were in Bethlehem. Hopefully it didn't take them too long to find where Jesus was. He was in a nowhere place on the outside because they didn't even have money. He was a peasant and he was a baby. That, that, babies are scary. Ask any parent trying to leave the hospital. Babies are terrifying. And if you watch television, you'll have commercials that'll scare you even more. We saw one recently. I don't know if it's like an RSV thing or whatever, but it's like in reverse and it starts with a baby with like tubes up their nose and they're in the hospital and it goes all the way back to a mother trying to sleep. You watch that commercial and you have a baby, you'll never sleep again. Babies are terrifying, but babies are terrifying because of what you might do to them. Not what they might do to you. We would think about God coming, Jesus coming, the King coming, and it's terrifying. And yeah, of course, it's terrifying in Revelation. But what He has come to do, he, He's come to explore the situation from the inside. <laughs> On Christmas, we celebrate that God was so kind that He became lowly to step behind enemy lines and look around Start talking to people. Start giving them the opportunity to join up. Now, yeah, we're not guerrillas. We're not prisoners of war. We're people that go along gladly with the world and its rebellion until the light of the gospel comes and, and convicts. And maybe, maybe some will hear that gospel message and turn and, and, and repent and become part of that kingdom. And Jesus... He has every right to come in on a horse and just end this whole wicked rebellion. But, but Jesus becomes a baby. He goes behind enemy lines and, he, and he, he preaches a message. Mark 1, what was Jesus' message? After John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What is that message? That message is the war will come. But right now, there's still opportunity. You can turn. 
You can turn from your rebellion against God. And even though you have no reason to expect it, he will actually receive you. He'll forgive your rebellion. He'll bring you back. And that's what Jesus did. He didn't come and start smacking people with clubs yet. He came and said, repent and believe. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, but repent and believe the gospel, the good news. And what is that good news? It's the peace that he's come to bring. Romans 4. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Romans is this big theological letter. It's got a lot in it. And when the first time you read it, it's a little scary. And the last time, if you just read it recently, it's still scary. But there's, there's logic to it, and it makes a lot of sense, especially if you have somebody kind of hold your hand and show you what's happening. But in, in Romans 4, it's talking about Abraham, the guy that God used to build that people of Israel. And Abraham was saved by God, was made righteous with God, not because he was righteous, but because God counted to him righteousness because of his faith. He trusted that God could make him clean, and it was, uh, that is why faith was counted to him as righteous. Uh, righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Jesus, who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. Well, thank you, Paul. I usually translate the pronouns, but I didn't have to. Look what he said. Believe in him. Who are we talking about? The guy who was raised from the dead. Lazarus? No. Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up from our, for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has made a way for us to have peace with God. Man, we could go on and on at length about what peace is, about why peace matters, about how good peace feels. But just understand the state of peace as opposed to the state of war. That's kind of what we've been driving at this whole time. You can be at war with God or you can be at peace with God. You can live in the constant fear that your pride and your rebellion will bring about in your life. Or you can live at peace with God. If you do, you can celebrate Christmas from the perspective of one who has received the gift of Christmas, which is that baby and the gospel that he came to bring. You can celebrate Christmas with the cookies and with the presents and with the music, the structured yelling of carols. You can, you can celebrate Christmas because all of that stuff then falls into place where it's supposed to be. These lenses through which you get to experience and taste and celebrate and sing about how good the message is that God has become a little baby to step behind enemy lines, to stand there as just a peasant in the Middle East and preach and say, listen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I should know I'll be that kingdom of heaven one day. <laughs> Repent and believe the good news that you can be forgiven because of what I'm going to do for you. That's the gospel message. That's the peace that you can experience with God now. You feast about it. You give gifts remembering it. You do a thousand other things that will never help you fully experience just how good God is in this gospel. That's the peace of Christmas. Have you experienced that? Do you know it? 
Have you enjoyed it? Have you feasted on it? Have you slept knowing that peace before? It's tricky. A lot of people are kind of conflicted about whether or not they want it. It's peace with God, but peace with God means you're at war with the world. You accept peace with God, oh my gosh, through our Lord Jesus Christ, but peace with God turns you into a guy like Paul, who has peace with God, that's checked, but he's at war with everybody else all the time. He joins in God's side. He becomes a guerrilla warfare person. It seems like a paradox, but yeah, you can have peace. It's peace with God. You just have to accept war everywhere else. That's what this whole evangelism series was about. That's what Jesus' ministry is teaching us. War with your own sin and love towards other people, even when they don't love you so good back. And yet, again, if you will accept it, if you will choose it, you can be His. If you're just going to coast through Christmas, you have made a choice. You're on one side or the other. To quote the band Rush, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. You must choose peace with God or war with God. Those are the options. My hope is that as you're thinking about Jesus, as you're thinking about Christmas, as you're thinking about the true king who made himself lowly, who came gentle and lowly, that he might lift your burden and show you the love that bring you to the Lord, if you'll just embrace Him, then you can sleep in heavenly peace. I pray that you would. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I pray that as a people we accept peace. Lord, that we worship you for offering peace. Offering peace at such a crazy price to yourself that you would have to give the life of your son, that people who are rebellious against you might be forgiven and adopted. Father, that is a gospel message that we will sing about for eternity. It's so good. Over this Christmas season, I pray that we would be a people who drink deeply of that peace, that we be a people who worship you and glorify you by just celebrating how good you are with our Christmas parties and our hot chocolate and our bows. Father, let us celebrate your goodness. And may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. We love you, sir, and pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.